American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today, we've got something of an oddity, an episode of American Catholic History in which we don't actually talk about a single American Catholic person or event having to do with Catholics in the present-day United States. Our topic is Pope's Night, the annual pre-revolution night of bonfires, boozing, and brawling that had a thick anti-Catholic theme. It lasted in the colonies from 1632 until about the American Revolution, and it happened every year on November 5th. Ah, yes. Remember, remember the 5th of November. This was basically an American colonies version of the annual Guy Fawkes Night festivities that took place over in Britain. There were a number of things going on here. It was certainly meant as an anti-Catholic thing. But it was also a night when those in the lower tiers of society basically took the liberty of acting like perfect hoodlums to let the upper echelon know what they thought of the societal structure. And the upper echelon folks tolerated it since it was an anti-Catholic demonstration. And if it meant that the lower classes would just take out their frustrations that one night rather than agitating for more significant and widespread changes overall. Right. So it seems a good place to start is with Guy Fawkes Night. Tell us about that. So Guy Fawkes Night was the annual commemoration of the day in 1605 when a Catholic revolutionary named Guy Fawkes was caught in the cellar beneath the House of Lords at the British Parliament guarding a massive store of gunpowder. The gunpowder was meant to blow up the English Parliament and the Protestant King James I of England the next day. Their intention was to replace the king with a Catholic. The whole affair became known as the Gunpowder Plot, and Guy Fawkes the most well-known of the conspirators. You may remember the name Guy Fawkes from those absurd masks that bear his name. The folks in the anonymous videos about 10 years ago wore them, as did the main character in the movie V for Vendetta. Right. Well, since Fox and his conspirators were Catholic, and they intended to install a Catholic monarch, the annual Guy Fawkes Night festivities would be decidedly anti-Catholic. And they had a little rhyme that went with them. Yeah, and it starts, Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Guy Fawkes and his companions did the scheme contrive to blow the king and parliament all up alive. There were different versions and many verses, including plenty of anti-popery. The festivities on that night would include the burning of an effigy of Fox and of the Pope. It didn't take long for this tradition to jump the pond, and it did so, naturally, with sailors. Because sailors would likely have been across the ocean to Britain once or twice, where they would have picked up the tradition. And whether or not the sailors were themselves anti-Catholic, they loved a reason to get rowdy and cause some mischief. And since sailors generally came from the lowest levels of society, runaway slaves, men trying to hide from some crime or other, they also loved an excuse to give vent to their frustrations with society. The first Pope's Night in the Colonies was on November 5th, 1632 in Plymouth, Massachusetts. There was no effigy of the Pope, but sailors lit a massive bonfire and got riotously drunk. The fire got out of hand and burned down several nearby houses. 
The following year, sailors in a few other coastal New England towns decided that that must have been a heck of a lot of fun, so they had their own night of riotous drinking and lit their own big bonfires. Over the years, the practice spread up and down the coast of New England, and the authorities were mostly powerless to stop it. And there were two other elements related to the vigor with which the authorities tried to stop the revelry. Keep in mind, the Puritans were in charge of New England at this time. So for one, the Puritans approved of the anti-Catholic element. They didn't want to squash the festivities too harshly. But also, the Puritans had outlawed Christmas. They outlawed Christmas? They outlawed Christmas as being too Catholic. So they had to allow that there would be one big night of revelry. Jesus coming in the flesh is too Catholic for Puritans. We'll take that. Anyhow, so the festivities grew and began to include a parade with an effigy of the Pope plus an effigy of the devil. Naturally, the point was to show that the papacy was in control of the devil. And then at some point, another effigy joined the parade, that of the Old Pretender. And the old pretender was? Well, in 1688, the Catholic king, James II, had been deposed by his Protestant daughter, Mary, and her Protestant husband, William of Orange. Parliament had invited William and Mary to invade and depose James II because they feared James would try to make England Catholic again. James died in 1701, and his Catholic son, James Francis, who was Mary's younger half-brother, would have succeeded him as James III. James Francis continued to hold himself as the rightful king of England quite reasonably. This, however, prompted English Protestants to call him the Old Pretender. So including the Old Pretender was one additional jab at the Catholics, and this one not just religious, but explicitly political. Right, and the irony, sort of, is that William and Mary died without an heir, so Mary's younger sister Anne became Queen of England, And then she died in 1714, also without an heir. And then, even though Mary and Anne's half-brother James was sitting there on the continent, the parliament reached out to something like the 54th person in the line of succession to skip over all the Catholics and find a Protestant to crown king. And that was George I, elector of Hanover, who was a second cousin to Mary, Anne, and James. George had never set foot in England. But having a Protestant on the throne was more important than having a native of England or Scotland or someone with lineal ties to the previous monarch. That is serious dedication to anti-Catholicism among the ruling classes. And all of that showed itself on Pope's Night. Yes, Pope's Night had evolved into this big-time event where lots of the lower classes would really let her rip for one night, drinking way too much and really letting out their frustrations on the upper classes. They would go around with their elaborate wagons with the effigies on them, sometimes with men dancing around the effigies, while dressed in clothes that had been tarred and feathered. They'd harass the upper classes at their houses, breaking windows, waking them up, and demanding some sort of payment to prevent them doing even more damage to their homes. The whole macabre procession would wind its way through the streets, causing mayhem and stealing barrels and chairs and anything wooden on the way to the site of the bonfire, where the party would reach its peak. But the place where the event really hit its stride was in Boston. Yes, Boston. In Boston, they weren't content with just one parade. They had two. Two rival gangs split the city in two, north and south. They both carried on as described above, and they both wound their way through this town, causing difficulty until they came upon each other. And then it was on. On like Donkey Kong. (laughs) The two gangs got into an all-out brawl. In some years, folks actually died in this melee. Whichever gang won 
And it's not clear what winning means in this case. Maybe just a handful were able to walk away. I know, something. But whichever side won the fight was entitled to leave the field of battle with both their own wagon turned stage as well as the other sides. Then they'd take both stages with their effigies to their own home base where they'd light both on fire and commence with the all-night debauchery. Localities, including Boston, passed laws to rein it all in, but the laws were largely useless. The constables and other officers of the law were simply outnumbered. Plus, as discussed, since the event was, at least on the surface, an explicit affront to the Pope, the upper crust was willing to tolerate it. So this all continued well into the 18th century, and then it took on a more political overtone when the British went to war against the French, who, of course, were Catholic. This was the Seven Years' War of 1756 to 1763. The result of this war was Britain gaining control of the French colonies in Canada, which were largely Catholic. And then some curious things happened, followed by a rather remarkable thing. The curious things happened in 1765 and then in 1774. In 1765, the British Parliament passed the Stamp Act, an effort to raise money to pay for the Seven Years' War, since much of that war had been fought on the North American continent, known here as the French and Indian War, the British reasoned that the American colonists should pay for it. But that didn't sit well with the American colonists. The warm feelings toward Mother England toward cold, and they did so rather quickly that year in 1765. The leaders of Boston's North and South mobs actually brought their gangs together to hold joint protests against the British. There was no Pope Night that year, and the tradition largely, quickly, died out, at least in Boston. But it didn't stay dead. It just morphed. In 1774, the next curious thing happened. The British Parliament realized that they needed to pacify the Catholic subjects in Canada, lest they rise up to be their own thing or try to rejoin France. So Parliament passed the Quebec Act. We talked about the Quebec Act before in Episode 3, when we discussed how Ben Franklin helped choose John Carroll to be the first Bishop of Baltimore. The Quebec Act gave the Catholics of Canada a lot of religious liberties which had been suppressed after Quebec had become British territory. Naturally, the British Parliament didn't do this out of a rise of warm feelings towards Catholics. But as far as they were concerned, those Catholics were way over there across the ocean. If they just paid their taxes and didn't cause trouble or join in the trouble that was beginning to brew in the American colonies to their self, that would be fine. But the colonists in New England didn't share that pragmatic view. Those newly liberated Catholics were right next door. To them, the British Parliament suddenly granting such rights to Catholics was an affront to their British Protestant ethos. Suddenly, Pope's Night was back in vogue, but this time it included significant anti-British fervor, since the British were now seen basically as friends of Catholicism. For a year or two, Pope's Night recommenced. But it all ended with the outbreak of the War for Independence and, frankly, it ended for similar pragmatic reasons as why the British Parliament had passed the Quebec Act. When the war started in Massachusetts and the 13 American colonies ratified the Declaration of Independence, suddenly the Americans wanted the Canadians to join them in their cause of casting off the British yoke. This effort to win Canadian support was what prompted Ben Franklin, Charles Carroll, Samuel Chase, and Father John Carroll to travel to Quebec City, as we discussed in Episode 3. And back home, the case for being nice with Catholics was pressed by none other than General George Washington. 
Washington had an interesting relationship with Catholics. He was Anglican, of course, and a Freemason, but he had at least one very prominent aide-de-camp during the war, John Fitzgerald, whom we talked about in episode 52. And he helped fund the first Catholic parish in Virginia. Muddy was also a consummate statesman, was commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, and wanted to see the American Revolution succeed. He knew that meant not treating Catholics like second-class citizens at best. In 1775, while Washington had his headquarters in Cambridge, Massachusetts, he wrote of Pope's Knight, quote, As the commander-in-chief has been apprised of the design formed for the observance of that ridiculous and childish custom of burning the effigy of the Pope, he cannot help expressing his surprise that there should be officers and soldiers in this army so void of common sense as not to see the impropriety of such a step at this juncture. At a time when we are soliciting and have really obtained the friendship and alliance of the people of Canada, whom we ought to consider as brethren embarked in the same cause, the defense of the general liberty of America at such a juncture and in such circumstances to be insulting their religion is so monstrous as not to be suffered or excused. Indeed, instead of offering the most remote insult, it is our duty to address public thanks to these, our brethren, as to them we are so much indebted for every late happy success over the common enemy in Canada. And that put an end to Pope's Night, 1775. Such was the power of George Washington's words and example. There was one last attempt at a Pope's Night in 1776, but it was a shell of its former ignoble glory, and then it ended. Anti-Catholicism would be a feature of the new United States in many ways for many years to come, but the American carryover of Guy Fawkes' Night died out with the dawning of the new nation, a nation which enshrined religious liberty in its founding documents. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a good review. And support the many productions of SQPN at sqpn.com give. To learn more about Pope's Night, to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimage to the Kentucky Holy Land and Bourbon Country, please visit sqpn.com slash history. We also love feedback and hearing about cool Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History or Instagram at ACH underscore podcast or follow StarQuest on Twitter at sqpn. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest. Oh, what a night!